the Holy Spirit is descended. I love doing that on Pentecost because it's always a cacophony of tongues, of speaking in tongues, many different uh, interpretations and, and words coming forth uh, with wings of glory and fiery flames and I don't know what, but it's, uh, it's wonderful to celebrate this greatest of feasts of the church. You know, I often will say that as beautiful, as glorious, as marvelous, as uh, incomprehensible as it is, that God became flesh and dwells among us, it's not enough. It's not enough. That he died on the cross for us, as glorious as that is, and as wonderful as it is, it's not enough. I know this sounds crazy and I'm speaking like a madman, I, I know. That he descended into Hades to free the captives there. It's incredible, it's mind-blowing. But it's not enough. That he rose again from the dead, trampling down death by death and upon those in the tombs bestowing life. I'm going to still say it, not enough. That he ascended with our flesh into heaven and set our humanity at the right hand of God Almighty. It's incredible, but it's not enough if he didn't also send the divine and Holy Spirit to enter into us from heaven to earth, and so to embody us and qualitatively make us in the likeness of Jesus Christ, to fulfill the mystery that St. Paul speaks of, the mystery that was before all ages. And what is the mystery of the cosmos? What is the mystery of the universe? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the only way for Christ to be in you is through the coming of the Holy Spirit. The seal of the gift of the Holy Spirit that each and every one of you have received as you've come into orthodoxy. <clears throat> without which we would not have the divine liturgy. We, we can't even begin a service without, oh, heavenly King, the comforter, the spirit of truth. Come and abide in us, right? And at one time somebody asked me, do, do you Orthodox, uh, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? What? <laughs> the whole thing is the Holy Spirit. None of it would have been enough had the Holy Spirit not come. And the heart of our liturgy is when the priest or the bishop says, Send down thy Holy Spirit upon us and upon this bread here set forth. Right? It's a, it's a procession of the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father. And as the Spirit is coming down upon the bread, He's coming down upon you. The priest could easily come over and say, and make this bread the precious body of our Christ. 
He could speak about this bread, this bread, this bread, this bread. Because it's you that he wants to indwell. And we eat and partake of not only Christ's body and blood, but we eat of the Holy Spirit made edible. You see why I say this is the greatest of feasts? You know, my congregation before would say, Father John, you say that about every feast. <laughs> and it's true because every feast holds the whole. That's what Catholic means. It's, it's holographic. It, is, it, it contains the whole. You can start from any point, any feast, and show the whole thing. And this is nonetheless the greatest of feasts, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Saint Seraphim of Seraph said that the whole of the Christian life is the acquisition of the Holy Spirit. The acquisition of the Holy Spirit. And if you look at the Gospels, you know not every story or every word is in all four Gospels, but this word is not only in all four Gospels once, but in Luke's Gospel twice, and in the book of Acts again. So I think it's seven times that this word comes forward, and it's the first word of the Gospel. St. John the Baptist says this, I came to baptize with water. Baptism of repentance. I came to baptize with water, but he who comes after me, whose, whose sandals I'm not, I'm not worthy to even bow down and untie. He will come and baptize you if, if, in, or with the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. This is the beginning of the gospel. That this, that this is the conclusion. He begins with the end in view. In all four gospels. And then in Luke's gospel, he ends with Jesus saying to the apostles again, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Until you're clothed with power from on high. And then, of course, the book of Acts, also written by Luke, you can see Luke really knows this is so crucial for the transfiguration of the human person. For mere clay to be filled with fire from above and to not perish, but like the burning bush to illumine those around them being light in this world. And so Luke begins the book of Acts with the same word again. Jesus speaking to his disciples before the ascension. Wait for the promise of the Father which you heard from me. Wasn't that you just heard it from St. John the Baptist. That the one who comes after will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit. But Jesus says remember the promise of the Father which you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It's in the book of, beginning chapter of the book of Acts. And 
so this gift that we are sealed with, it's imprinted on us, it's inseparable, it cannot be taken away. This gift is the greatest gift that our holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give to us. See, John speaks of uh, the Lord's words frequently in the Gospel of John, where Jesus does some of the greatest teaching about the Comforter. He speaks of the Holy Spirit as the teacher, the Comforter, the guide, the convictor of sin, the sanctifier, the Spirit of truth. St. Paul later says that you cannot even call Jesus Lord without the Holy Spirit. So if you practice, which I encourage you to do, if you practice the Jesus prayer, it presupposes that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. You can't even say those words and mean them and have them filled with life apart from the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on you. It's life-giving. It carries the power and the weight of the Holy Spirit. And so today, that's, by, that's just all introduction. Today, what I'd really like to focus on are the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I want to do some teaching, and probably Father James has covered all of this uh, so well, but would you allow me just to one more time uh, just to instruct again a bit on the gifts and the fruit. And one of the first things you'll notice there is the one is in the plural, the second is in the singular. We speak of the gifts of the Spirit, and St. Paul speaks about them in 1 Corinthians especially. And St. Paul says there is a diversity of gifts, the plural, many gifts of the Spirit. And the teaching that he gives in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 12 especially, is that everyone has at least one or more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But no one has them all. Why is that? That the hand not say to the foot, I have no need of thee. Right? We don't have all of the gifts because we need one another. There gifts differing and each person possesses one or more of the gifts and you all bring those gifts together for what purpose for the building up of the body of Christ you are needed if you're not here if you are not here if you're absent whoa uh -oh, something's missing because no one has it all and so I want to ask today if you are if you have some knowledge and comprehension of the gift or gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to you for the building up of the body that you need to employ, not for your own sake, but for everyone else's sake. You know what your gift is. You have a sense, you know, of what it is that God has given you to do. I, after, and maybe when you're, maybe you're young, you're still learning what that gift is. But at a, at a certain age, I mean, at, at this point, I have a sense of how the Holy Spirit has used me over 40 years of ministry. I have a sense about that. And uh, one of the reasons I retired is because I knew 
I didn't really have the gift of administration. The day in and day out grind of, of running a parish. You know, 40 years is enough. I don't have that gift. Others do. And you are needed. Let me just read off. And by the way, St. Paul's list of the gifts is not conclusive. It's not like this is all the gifts. Because the Holy Spirit is so creative, he can form new gifts for new times that we are living in. But here's a few gifts that St. Paul mentions. Healing, miracles, discerning of spirits, wisdom, word of knowledge like clairvoyance. My patron saint, St. John of San Francisco, was clairvoyant. You know, he had, there were times where, for example, one of his priests was worrying at home and three in the morning, how he was going to pay the bills and so forth. And all of a sudden the phone rang, like at three in the morning. He picks it up at St. John. Give it to God. Go back to bed. <laughs> That's a great gift. The gift of clairvoyance. Uh, the gift of tongues, of interpretation of tongues, of prophecy, of administration, of helps. Whoa! The gift of helps. Like, what is that? It's like, if you see something needs to be done, you help. You help get it done. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Teaching, preaching, apostleship, hierarchical uh, leadership in the church. But we could also add counseling, music ministry, chanting, liturgical servers, iconographers, hymnographers, writers, preachers, bloggers. Whoa, did I say bloggers? <laughs> I mean even bloggers. Evangelists. And one of the greatest gifts that the fathers speak about, they call a second baptism, and that's the gift of tears. It's a beautiful gift to receive the gift of tears. It's not psychological. This is not uh, a kind of a psychological tears, like you're feeling bad or something. It's a gift from above, where all of a sudden your eyes turn on like fountains of water, and the tears just shoot out. And it's it's something not of this world. It's like myrrh coming out of a myrrh-dripping icon. It's from the Holy Spirit. And some of the fathers say, oh, that I might be able to fill up the, the uh, tub the, that I was baptized in with my own tears. May I fill that up again a second time, for, as it were, a second baptism, <coughs> the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, these are all wonderful gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I encourage you to employ the gift or gifts one or more that the Lord God, the Lord Spirit, the Holy Spirit has given to you. And so now let's shift for a moment. I'm going to come back to a gift, by the way, that St. Paul says every one of us should earnestly desire. I'm going to come to that, just a, back to that in a moment. But let's go to the fruit of the Spirit. You can read about this mostly, I mean, it's all throughout the Scripture, but St. Paul especially speaks of it in Galatians chapter 5, where he says that the fruit, karpos in Greek, that's singular, 
a singular, the fruit of the Spirit. And then he lists in the plural, what are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We could add hope, humility, chastity, long-suffering, modesty, hesachia, stillness, inner silence, nepsis, watchfulness. It's all the fruit. And the reason we speak about it in the singular, and this is an interesting word, because carpos can be singular, but we can also say like a basket of fruit, meaning there's more than one grape in there, right? It's a basket of fruit. It's singular, but it's also plural. Why, why, does, why is that important to speak about the fruit in the singular? It's, it's because although no one has all the gifts of the Spirit, everyone must have all the fruit of the Spirit. Are you with me? We won't have all the gifts, lest the hand say to the foot, I have no need of you. But every single one of us must have all of the fruit. Can you say, well, I have love, but I don't have any peace. Or, I have joy, but no love. No, you have to have love, peace, joy, long-suffering, patience, goodness, gentleness, the Holy Spirit wants to form all of the fruit within you. And apart from the Holy Spirit, it, we can't have it. Oh, we may have natural tendencies towards, um, you know, you just meet people that aren't, aren't worked up easily. They just naturally have a kind of a peace. The Holy Fathers say, well, good for them, but they won't get any reward for that fruit. Fruit has to be cultivated. It's when you are have that fiery personality and you, you know, your fuse is quick. And you learn and gain patience by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Long suffering, gentleness, kindness. Well, that's something. People will say, I don't know what's happening to that person, but they're not the same person they were before. And they'll ask you, what's going on with you? You seem peaceful now. You seem patient. You seem to have more love and generosity. You seem to be more expanded inside. What's going on with you? You want to have people ask you that question. Because it's a moment that you turn completely away from ego and just simply say, I'm trying to walk with the living God. And he wants to put his life in me. And I think you're picking that up a bit. All right. The fruit of the Spirit. I think I'm going to leave that now. Well, let me first say. 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts of the Spirit. Then that beautiful Corinthians 13. You all know the most famous passage, really, of, of St. Paul's work, right? If I speak with tongues of men or angels, but have not love. I am like a sounding gong and tinkling brass. You all know the love chapter? <laughs> yes, of course you do. St. Paul uses that one fruit to mean them all. 
if I don't have the fruit of the Spirit, it doesn't matter how many power gifts I have, that I might even give my body to be burned, or that I would have prophecy, or I could read your mind, or whatever. You know, have clairvoyance, or power gifts, heal you with a touch, or something like that. But if I don't have the fruit of the Spirit, that's what St. Paul is really saying in 1 Corinthians 13. If I don't have love, love's shorthand for the, all the fruit. I'm nothing. Do you see how important the fruit of the Spirit is? But having said that, now I'm going to go to chapter 14. We looked at 12, 13. Now over to chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. And he says this. He says, this is the gift everyone should seek. And we got a clue about it last night if you were here and heard the Old Testament readings. And Father James actually preached about this last night. All right, what is it? Verse 1 of chapter 14 says this. Pursue love. Pursue the fruit of the Spirit, for sure. Yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts. But especially that you might prophesy. Now, some will hear that and say, well, isn't that a, like about clairvoyance, knowing the future or, or seeing ahead? Not, it's not the New Testament understanding of prophecy. We, yes, of course, we understand the Old Testament prophecy where God gave a word and spoken about an event in the future and so forth. And that can still happen, of course, in the New Testament, in, in, our, in our time, that somebody has that form of prophecy. But I would suggest to you that a good working definition of prophecy is being given the timely word for a particular situation that you might speak a word to a particular need. Listen to a prophecy spoken about the Messiah that says this in Isaiah 50 verse 4. The Lord God has given me a tongue of one who is taught that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning, he awakens me. He awakens my ear to listen. Isn't that a beautiful word? It's about the Messiah, but by extension, the Holy Spirit wants to anoint you with this same word that you could say, the Lord God has given me a tongue of one who is taught. I have wisdom that's not of my own. It comes from above. That I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Have you ever been exhausted, weary, and confused? And somebody has spoken the word to you. The word of love. It might, it might just be a simple word like, God is with you. Look up. When you see all this crazy stuff going on around you, look up. Because your Redeemer draws nigh. There's every one of us, if we just ask the Holy Spirit, will be given a simple word. 
And sometimes we can speak without even using language because the language of heaven, uh, St. Isaac the Syrian says, is the language of silence. You know Job's three friends? For seven days they just sat with Job in his suffering and didn't say a word. And that was powerful. That sustained Job. And then they started to speak, but not according to the Holy Spirit. And later, Job has to take care of them for them, cover them for them. Are you with me? Sometimes just silence, just your presence, is the word that sustains the other. I want you to ponder this. You know, last night we heard that passage out of uh, the Old Testament where God says to Moses, I'm going to take some of the spirit from you and I'm going to put it on these 70, uh, 70, like 70 apostles. They're going to be working with you and they're going to have the Holy Spirit. And two of them were not in the camp, were not in the, in the tent of meeting when they met. We heard this last night, right? So two were missing. And the Holy Spirit came on them. They were outside the, of the tent. And uh, Joshua was all upset, came to Moses and said, Moses, a couple of the guys, are, the elders are prophesying outside. They're out, they're out there. They're, they're, they're not even in the narthex. I don't know. They're out by the fountain. I don't know. Maybe they're already having lunch or something. And they're, they're prophesying. And what does Moses do? He gets really mad, right? That's not what happens. Does anyone remember what happens? He says, Oh, that all the people of God might prophesy. Oh, that all of the people would exercise the priesthood of all believers that St. Paul and St. Peter and Paul talk about. That each and every one of you would be the link between heaven and earth. Because that's your calling as a priestly person. To unite heaven and earth in your body. Or that all would be anointed with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And here again, he's not saying primarily tell the future. But to speak the timely word that can sustain the weary and the brokenhearted. To be able with Christ to speak from the cross in your own suffering. Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. To bless your enemies. To descend down into Hades that you might capture a soul still bound there and speak a word even to the departed that will call them to look up. That you might take another by the hand that has not yet learned to fly and say, let us go up to the house of the Lord, to the God, the God of, our God of Jacob. That you may teach others how to ascend that you may do all the things that the Lord did 
and that you might even speak the word of the Holy Spirit that someone else might feel the fire. That's your calling. God will give you that gift if you ask. St. Paul, and with this I'll end. I'm just reading this one again. Pursue the fruit, pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And especially that you might speak the timely word that will sustain the brokenhearted. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. The Holy Spirit is descended.